Hey, it's Ryan Doyle from TDR's Guaranteed Money. I want to take you to the Canadian Gaming Summit, where I had the unique chance to speak to an all-star cast of CEOs. We talk challenges and opportunities in the space, and you're going to hear it next in this featured interview. We're going to talk a little bit about building the next evolution of the Canadian gaming industry. And I want to welcome our panel up to the stage. Anna Sansbury is with GeoComply. She's the CEO. Come on up. I don't have these big intros written for you guys. I wish. Mine was so robust, I feel like I should have one of these for everybody. Uh, Ilkum Hintzer is, of course, with Hard Rock International and chair of the Canadian Gaming Association. Come on up and have a seat. John Levy, of course, you know, is CEO of The Score Media and Gaming. Good to see you this morning, John. And Scott Burton is CEO of Fans Unite. It's fantastic to have all of you. I think we have an extra chair this morning. That's okay. You can space yourselves out if you wish. I'm sure you've had enough of social distancing, so. Yeah, you all put me together. Um, so let's start off with a chat when it comes to Canada's gaming industry. And we're just going to go right along the panel this morning. Uh, it's maturing. It's diversifying. It has done so over the last three decades. Uh, laws, of course, have changed recently to help the industry expand and grow. So I want to know from each one of you uh, your opinions on what the current climate is in Canada when it comes to building and expanding the industry further. Anna, we'll start with you. Sure. Thanks for having me. It's nice to see everyone today. Um, Canada has a lot of opportunities ahead of itself. I think I live in British Columbia, and I think many British Columbians are very proud of the footprint that BC Lottery Corporation made in terms of going online in such an early time and also bringing sports betting, casino gaming, and, and many new products to the market well over 10 years ago. And, and with that, it brought a lot of innovation and creativity. It brought our European partners over and technology. And over the last couple of years, of course, many of us have been waiting for Ontario to kick off and regulate and look at what that is going to bring to the market. And I think so far, we can all agree that it's it's been off to a great start. And it's really created an appetite across many of the other provinces for them to see what they can do when bringing in private brands. I think the numbers speak for themselves to say that it's definitely what the players want. And if we look at how much interaction there's been between those that are in Ontario playing on these these brands, it's uh, it's been really tremendous and, and great to see the progress in, across the other provinces. Uh, thanks, Ryan, and thanks for having me. And for me, it's a bit of a homecoming having uh, relocated from here down to South Florida to join Hard Rock a couple of years ago. It's been an interesting perspective from across the border from, uh, from Florida to, to see what's been happening in Canada. Of course, I've had my finger on the pulse of what's been happening in Canada since, since I did relocate to Florida. And then the pandemic, of course, hit. That made uh, the world a bit of a different place. And it, it obviously did that for all of us, everyone in this room. In, in various ways got impacted, uh, to, to state the obvious. But um, I've always been incredibly enthusiastic about the Canadian market and uh, the creativity that Anna talked about has always been there. And th 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 this is a piece that I, I think a lot of folks uh, that are in the industry have known for a long time. The talent has been in Canada for a long time. The interest has been in Canada for a long time. The international eyes have been looking at Canada for a long time. And of course, on the more traditional bricks and mortar space, there has been a very robust gaming industry for a long time as an economic driver of uh, 
very significant proportions across the country. This Ontario launch, however, on the online space is um, a tremendous manifestation of a lot of very exciting things happening. And it's, uh, it's a boon in so many ways. It's been interesting to be able to see that from across the border and uh, help participate in that in, uh, in any modicum um, of, in, of uh, uh, impact that, that I may have had and the CGA may have had. I, I, think, I think it's been an exciting opportunity. It's tremendous. It's only, I think, tip of the iceberg in terms of where things are going in many, many ways. And so I'm thrilled. I'm excited. I hope we all are. John, do you share that excitement? I don't know what else I have to say. I mean, these guys basically said it. Um, as an opportunity for Canada um, and what we're experiencing right now in these very early days in Ontario is just off the charts amazing. I mean, and our company, The Score, is kind of a poster child for that because we've been hanging around waiting for this to happen for our whole life and uh, had to sort of jump into the U.S. a little bit first, which we did um, in four states, and then Ontario and Canada opened up, and we got to do it in our own home turf. And at a whole bunch of levels, it's amazing. Um, obviously, for companies like ours, we're growing very fast and the opportunity to hire so many people and, and, and just tap into this enormous wealth of talent to this country. And now we're creating product and opportunities that are able to do it not only here and hopefully soon in the rest of Canada. And I think when they see how great Ontario has been and is and is operating, the regulators in those provinces are going to sort of come to the same conclusion that Ontario came to a lot earlier and hopefully figure it out in each of their states. And when they do, we're obviously uh, uh, off and pacing and ready there too. But the other opportunity for Canadian companies it's not only to do it here, but to continue to develop the product and then take that intelligence and take that opportunity and spread it elsewhere, as you know, as we are doing in our relationships with people in the U.S. So huge opportunity and kudos to the government for getting uh, getting us in this position and for um, companies like ours taking advantage of. So, I think there's even less for me to say now, <laughs> but uh, it's been really exciting for us. I think those who don't know, you know. Uh, I re you know I really love gambling, so I started a company about ten years ago and and had to go to the Isle of Man. And so the fact that we can um, now publicly say what we do and uh, and and hire people and and there's so much talent and we're seeing it come out. And the thing that I've really enjoyed being back at a show like this is you're seeing people now that ten years ago would never carry a business card, would only have their initials on their email, and, and now people can come out of the shadows because we did develop some really great gaming companies in the early days and uh and i think a few of those people were forced underground for a while and and seeing them come back to life and be public and and show up at conferences and have business cards it's it's an amazing opportunity and it's just great to see well let's expand on that a little bit because as a country as you guys have discussed we have world-class expertise in the space uh, from operators to technology providers to entrepreneurs and innovators i want to know from you guys what challenges does the industry face not only keeping companies within our borders but also keeping that human, brilliant human capital in Canada. Yeah, I, start with I think this is a, a tricky question, uh, especially at this point in time, as the tech sector has been growing tremendously for, for years. And even though we've seen some adjustments in the market, we are still having a limited talent pool. And there's a number of things that, that are affecting that talent pool, regardless of how many very talented Canadians are coming out of the university and the um, legacy talent that we have from our early involvement in the gaming space. 
we're still short and we have remote workforce to, to sort of sit on. But I think what I look at from a, a global perspective is that talent pool is short globally. And so we all have to look where we can to get the right talent to actually stay innovative, stay creative and make sure we can meet these market demands. So that is one issue that is definitely head of Canada. I think the next issue that comes up is most of the larger investors or companies that are likely to acquire the new technical solutions or operators that are out there, maybe approaching new markets like Canada as an opportunity, are likely to be acquired or um, having foreign shareholders. And so I think that this is a challenge that the Canadian government needs to look at is how can they create an investor pool that is competitive to our neighbors um, so that the intellectual property that we build in Canada can actually stay here. I, I 100% echo everything I just said. And um, of course, this is not a unique issue, not a unique uh, problem that only Canada faces. And of course, we see that uh, with our footprint in a number of countries. And I think it just goes back to fundamentals. Um, one has to do what's what's best for the business. One has to do what's best for the industry. One has to be innovative and in, in enticing talented folks to want to be in the industry. Um, again, I'm not sure it's unique to the gaming industry either. Uh, it's not a jurisdiction-specific issue, not an industry-specific issue. But again, in Canada, having had the benefit, maybe maybe more so than some jurisdictions, of the of the technology. Um, expertise and wherewithal and desire and drive, I think maybe that's where we have uh, maybe a leg up on, on some other jurisdictions. But on first principles, again, I think it's uh, you know, making sure we have a viable, sustainable industry, a robust industry, making sure it's competitive, but that folks can participate um, with, uh, um, with, with the vim and vigor that the industry deserves and on, on an even playing field as well. The regulatory side, for example, obviously has been a complicated path to getting to where we are. And uh, that, that is a, probably a bit of a, a, a process that's gonna continue to evolve as well. And over time, maybe things will, will, will become a little more smooth if there have been challenges uh, to date. Um, things will just continue to improve as we learn from, uh, from what's been happening in Canada and other jurisdictions as well. That's, again, it's no different on the, on the bricks and mortar side as well. And we've been doing this for a long, long, long time in Canada. But in terms of the talent pool, again, one goes back to first principles. You have to keep folks interested. You have to have a sustainable, viable industry. You have to have a path. You have to have a strategy. And uh, these are complicated issues, and every organization is dealing with them. Um, not just, again, the gaming industry, but I think we're up to the challenge of Canada. John? Um, it's, it, listen, it's the competitive environment for talent, we were just talking about it before we came up on the stage. Um, is enormous, and it's not coming from just within the industry, it's coming from the gaming industry. We're up against all technology companies, especially in, in, in this city. But I, I think the other side of it is, um, the way we've always dealt with it is you gotta fight for it. You gotta go, just go go get it. And and the way you do that is, uh, is by continuing to believe in what you're building, and by, if, one of the biggest concerns we had when we, you know, were in the TV business, we sold it, you know, 100% digital, was would we be able to attract the talent to be able to build this beast that we were going to have to build? And sure, we had a little bit of a leg up because we were the score and people knew the score in Canada and they liked the brand and all this. But unless you're focused on creating innovative product 
and getting, for example, the engineers and the product people excited about the stuff that you're building and the vision that you have and the brand that you're building, if you don't have that, then I don't really care how much money you have or who's funding you, it ain't going to work for long. You'll get them for a while and then they're going to go elsewhere. So you got to build this sort of family. You got to build this product. You got to have a brand that people care about. And in terms of this big behemoth in the States and us, you know, we've dealt with that our whole life. And, and um, you know, I, I think it's actually an interesting opportunity because in our particular case, it's our technology and our talent pool, which we're building up here, that's being drawn upon and not just imported or exported into the States, but is being grown, developed, and, 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 and honed in on here and then transported into the States for their operating companies to use. So I always look at it as, a, as a, uh, the opposite side of that point. Big opportunity for us, very competitive. You've got, you got a great HR department, and, uh, which we do, and, and, and you've got to be aggressive. And you've got to have capital. You've got to be able to pay, obviously, but I don't, don't give up. I mean, you just go, 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 build your brand, build your company, and we can take over the world for God's sakes. Scott, that's a hard thing to follow, but go for it. Uh, yeah, and I can talk to the challenges, I guess, we've had, because we, we've been going about 10 years. We do all that, so we try to make it a great place to work, and I think we've done that. It is kind of like a family. You know, we've got our first engineer we hired 10 years ago is still with us. You know, most of the guys that work for me, it's the longest job they've ever had. So so we do a lot of things to, you know, try and attract. And we don't have an issue of, I think, people leaving because we know that, you know, most of our people in Canada, at least, are split between here and Vancouver. Great place to live. People want to be there. So it, it is the challenge. Our biggest one is the, the capital side. Uh, for us has always been tough and and especially again raising money 10 years ago and trying to build a betting company out of Vancouver nobody would give me money um, and especially you know we couldn't go to the US couldn't go you know anywhere any fund any institution wouldn't touch us so you know I was raised all our money in Europe and and the challenge we have as small companies here in Canada and why you see them all leave is uh, is because the capital pulls them to wherever they got to go and we don't have the robust like VC money that you would see in the U.S. So, so we were pushed into the capital markets where if, if you're in the U.S., that's, that's an exit when you're a billion-dollar business. In Canada, that's your venture money. Like you, and, and so you, you, got, you compound the fact here that your access to capital is tough. Uh, we get pushed towards public markets sometimes. So then you're now trying to you know, build a growing startup. But you're public, which you know throws a whole new level. So, so our challenge has always been the ability to gain access capital. That's changed quite a bit with the PASPA repeal. With you know now Ontario, all these people are, are calling us now. Like I had no problem raising money last year at, at all. But uh, but that's always the challenge I find in Canada and why Canadian companies get sucked to other places. Uh, the regulation of the Ontario iGaming market is one of the most talked about developments. It's been the buzz for the last couple of years. Obviously, April 4th was massive in this province. Um, the regulatory framework has been described as approachable, where a wide range of choice can be offered for the customer. And it's a different kind of starting point that we have seen in other jurisdictions. I want to know from each of you, how important is the licensing regime when it comes to growing as a Canadian company? So... I think licensing is one of those necessary evils. Um, it provides a lot of clarity. I think it's it's hard to wrap your head around when you're on your 15th 100-page document explaining everything you've done in your life and where you spend your money. Um, and even, I think for me, it actually helps me remember what I've done. So it's a good record, like a diary. Um, but at the end of the day, it adds so much credibility. I think to the market, it allows you to 
communicate to a regulator who you are as an organization. It helps the industry focus on what is important to us. And I think it brings the credibility to the industry that a lot of the federal uh, regulators needed in order to adopt regulation for online and and allow us to, to flourish. I think some of the problems come up, which also relate to getting investors in. And I think it's what has also pushed a lot of organizations to go public because it could be quite challenging for an, uh, an investor that, that might be wildly known and um, appreciated across the globe, but to a licensing division, they're just anybody that also needs to go through, um, through licensing. And so that can create quite a challenge, especially as the, the industry matures. Like, how can we both keep that integrity that licensing brings and allow us to share data from operator and supplier to the regulator, um, but also be friendly enough for us to mature as an industry and bring in the investors that we need that might not be as set up for licensing as people in the industry are. Um, again, 100% agreement with, with everything Anna just said. Integrity above all is, is the way I approach and we approach every single thing we do in, in our organization. And licensing and and regulation is intended to obviously make sure that the, the folks that are participating in the industry are protected and the right folks are in the industry. And uh, these, these, again, these are all first principles. It's about integrity, 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 clarity, obviously, transparency, confidence in the system, confidence that uh, um, all the right things are being done and there's a there's the appropriate level of oversight of course, from the financing side, it gives the financing institutions a lot of uh, confidence as well, as Anna pointed out. Again, it goes back to, in my mind, integrity above all. Now, in terms of the, the, the process itself of licensing, every jurisdiction is slightly different. Every jurisdiction has its nuances. Some jurisdictions have evolved organically. Others, maybe a little less so, maybe chaotically. It, it depends on, on, on what jurisdiction we're talking about. But it's uh, always a good thing to head towards regulation. And this is what I think all of us in the room would, would, would agree upon. And uh, um, it's, it's the core mantra of what, what I think a, a company that operates outside of one jurisdiction. If you're in multiple jurisdictions, your licenses are extremely valuable. They are the most valuable things you probably own in addition to your brand and your, your talent and your, 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 uh, your, your personnel, your team, the licenses allow you to become the kind of gaming company that I think a lot of folks do want to become. They want to have the ability to export who they are to the rest of the planet, to, to the rest of the world, and have folks, players, and, and, and guests, and, and patrons know that uh, um, wherever they're, they're playing, for example, on a in a hard rock facility to use my organization as an example, that all the right things are being done, that integrity above all rules the day. And the degree of confidence that that creates is it's, it's second to none. And when you do want to get into another jurisdiction, it is critical that every regulator sees that that's what you're doing, that you're doing things properly, that you have a, you have a robust compliance system and that you're doing all the right things to comply with the licensing and regulatory model. Again, these are first principles that are applicable across the, the entire industry, not just the online space. But it's thrilling that uh, 
now in Ontario and in Canada for the first time, there's a commercial licensing model for for online gaming. But again, all these, I think, uh, all these thoughts and comments are applicable across the board to bricks and mortar as well. On first principles, it's critical, and I'm thrilled and integrity above all. Just, um, apologies for being repetitive, but I have a compliance committee meeting in a couple of hours, and uh, I have to be able to quote myself. John? It really was the um, the ticket that normalized the market here. I mean, let's get real. Gambling in Ontario and Canada has been going on forever. Okay? So we didn't create something that's new. We just embraced it. And we said, okay, how do we make this sense out of this? And how do we redirect all these billions of dollars into creating something that's good for the country and good for the province and good for people? And, and, and great for companies like ours who are expanding and growing and um, um, able. So we, we've been on the periphery of this business for our whole life because we knew people who love sports, love to gamble. And, you know, everybody was on our app all, all, you know, for the last 15 years. And what were they doing? They were going offshore. They're going, they were, they're gambling. And we were sort of sitting there saying, hmm, wouldn't this be nice? And hopefully some point everybody's going to wake up and we're going to be able to facilitate this and provide product in a way that actually is, enhances the experience for the consumer. So um, great at, um, you know, listen, I, people in my organization are going to shoot me for saying it, but, it, it, you know, because of all the work it takes and all the oversight and the data analytics that we provide on a daily, and weekly and monthly basis. But, you know, the reality is it's amazing for all aspects of the, and, and especially when you have the province who did it right. I mean, there's some regulators, and we all know who we're talking about, who've really messed up their markets and are going to have to redo this whole thing in the next couple of years because it just ain't working as well for their states as it is. Canada's got this role model now that Ontario has provided for us and the other provinces are going to say. And, and the other thing, too, is, you know, just in terms of the, the gray market, uh, you know, it's finally putting a level playing field in place. Companies are going to be able to compete effectively with one another. Ontario did it so that it's an open market. Everybody can come in. I don't care what you were doing before. I care what they were doing before, but obviously nobody else cares what they were doing before. But they're coming in, getting licensed, and now from this point forward, we can compete effectively. And I think that's the recipe for a very healthy, healthy industry. Scott? Yeah, it, it is great for us, again, just uh, in the interest in the investor markets and that. You know, anytime we... We get a new license, it, it helps us tremendously, and we, we are a big fan of regulation, so we've always tried to operate in pretty clear markets and jurisdictions. I think the, the one thing we, we need to make sure happens when, when someone does regulate, though, that there's the other side and there's an enforcement side that needs to be uh, taken care of, and, and I think it's still to be seen how, how that happens uh, you know, with Ontario and how they go about it, um, what happens in the rest of Canada, but I think that's going to be a real... Um, you know, telling thing of, of how the enforcement happens. So, you know, as, as the point was made about the gray markets, to make sure that if we do license and regulate, um, we we don't give the gray market operators an advantage over the ones that are following the rules. And, and I can see that happening in, in certain instances. Can I? Yeah. Can I just can I just jump in because. I think that that's like a really important thing, right? The licensing is just the first part of the relationship and the, the ongoing reporting and uh, what happens after that when things come up for a regulator. And I think what we've seen 
um, across the U.S. and I'm sure we're starting to see in Ontario at the moment is that it's an evolving field and we need that because what, what we see in terms of fraud, for instance, you know, it, it constantly changes. The tools that people use to um, circumvent the checks and balances that regulators put in place are constantly changing. So far in Ontario, we have seen over 15 million um, Canadians from other provinces attempting to to play in Ontario. So I think that speaks to the success of Ontario and that other Canadians would also like the opportunity um, to have a similar uh, playing field in, in their provinces. But we have also seen 250 fraud rings. And so it clearly means there is also an appetite when you start seeing like marketing coming out and, and bonuses and anything that is essentially going to attract new players, you know, it, it brings both um, the good and the bad. And that is really where the relationship between an operator and a regulator and enforcement comes into play because they can both help the operator secure their market and protect them against fraud and risk and any licensing fines, um, but but also to to make sure that, that Canadians in this case are, are also playing fairly. John? Yeah, I, I missed making that point earlier, and that's a very important point, which is, you know, when, when the debate was going on and we were participating, you know, at the federal level and provincial levels to, okay, guys, let's go, let's regulate this thing, and here's the model and all that. You know, the, we kept coming back to this. The market is happening, and this fraud is happening, and you got no say in it. you got no control. Forget about, for the moment, all the money that's being floating up to heaven and not being reallocated where it should be reallocated. But, but all, all this, whatever we're worried about, is currently happening. So through companies like ours and through a strong regulator with proper regulation, we're not creating new stuff. we got an opportunity to kill it. And, and uh, you know, that, that's so important for a company like ours because our brand's on the line, too, now. You know, people like the brand. They love the score. They trust the score. Now we're taking their money in, in terms of deposits and stuff. I don't want anybody screwing around with us. So, you know, we've got to be out in front of this every, and, and, and you know, you must see this every day. Yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. And, and, and uh, just to sort of reiterate the point, and uh, I think what we're talking about is clarity. We're talking about certainty. We're talking about confidence. We're talking about the, the fact that, uh, again, this, this market is a bit of a different beast than some markets. It's been happening for, for a long time. And it's, it's pretty robust here um, in, in Ontario, in, in any case, and perhaps the rest of Canada. But it's been happening. And uh, for me, the, the most common thing, uh, in, including down in the States, that, that comes up with respect to Canada is, well, of, of course, it's been legal in, or licensable. There's, of course, a licensing regime in Ontario now because I can play. I can do this. I can do that. That, that confusion has been there for a long, long, long time. And it's, it's no one's fault. It's just it's that's how the market evolved. That's how the dynamics here in this in this country evolved. And it's not fair to have expected you, know, you me, anyone in this room as a consumer to to know the, the nuances of the criminal code of Canada and the complications of maybe provincial gaming laws. It, it's just, you know, you're a consumer. You have your iPhone and oh look, I can play. It must be legal. And and. That's an oversimplification, of course, but that confusion has always been there and for, for a long, long time. And what this allows to happen, just like in any other regulatory regime that is new or that, that, that is embraced and that is launched, 
successfully, it allows for clarity. The, the gray disappears and it becomes white and black. And as much as uh, nuance is extremely important in, in many respects from a, a fraud perspective, from the protection of the player perspective, that's, that's not something you want. It's the opposite of what you want. You want clarity. So I think we have clarity now or we're on the verge of having clarity. We're on the way to clarity. And that may evolve and will no doubt evolve over time and across the country as well as it does elsewhere. But uh, that, that's, uh, um, that, that's something we, we see all the time. I see all the time. Of course, it's been legal. Of course it is because consumers have access to it in Toronto, elsewhere across uh, Canada. But now I think, I think a lot of people know what the difference is. And I think it behooves us, all of us in this room, to educate. And, and I think that's happening. But also educate uh, consumers and educate the market on exactly where we are and, and where we're going. Scott, do you want to add to that? Um, no, I wasn't going to head to that actually, but I will if you, since you asked. Um, one of the things we are seeing and why I think you have 15 million people trying to get in Ontario is the advertising is national. So like every ad in BC is, is every other ad is gambling right now. So I think all of a sudden, again, it goes to the clarity and, and it's, it's coming, but the education needs to come is that people in BC, first 218, everyone's like, oh, I thought betting was legal all the time anyway. And, and then that's that happened. And now Ontario, and now we see ads every other ad. And it's like, oh, I can go on these. So, so that's the, the challenge we're having is the education across the country and people not getting that and understanding it. And it's, it's unfortunately the advantage that um, is going to the gray market operators, I would say. So yes, they're allowed in Ontario to get a license, but their spending dollar now goes across the country where the scores wouldn't, for example, right? So, so they're doing national advertising. They're still taking a BC player on a, on a different license. And, and so that's the challenge I saw and we see as companies that, yeah, I want to come to Canada. I want to do it right. I want to go to Ontario, but it's still hard for me to compete with my marketing dollars if those guys are spending dollars and getting players in every province and I'm only getting Ontario. So that's, that's one of the things we need to work on. Uh, MGE is going to be the first land-based operator. They are the first land-based operator to become licensed with the AGCO here in Ontario. Their focus is obviously going to be quite different than their competitors since they run the day-to-day -day operations of two brick-and-mortar casinos in Niagara. How do we see the land-based operations fitting into the bigger narrative of things? I'll mostly leave. <laughs> Elton, do you want to say yeah. <laughs> It's it's, uh, it's it's a it's a it's a very good question. Uh, we do have a we also have a property in um, in in Ontario in Ottawa, of course. So we're in a similar situation uh, with, uh, with respect to that property, um, and we in other jurisdictions in the states have uh, a land based presence where there's also online gaming as well. For example, we're in we're in New Jersey, of course. We've been there for a while. Um, it, it it is it is. Critical to remember, I think, that the land-based operations are extremely uh, robust in, in Ontario. Uh, the land-based operators generate uh, a tremendous amount of revenue for uh, its stakeholders, including, including the province, of course, and uh, uh, the service providers. Um, they, they, they are tremendous economic drivers in, in, this, in this province, as, as they are in, in, in every province. And, and there are a lot of nuances as to what uh, what that means in terms of marrying and ma marrying the, the land-based operation with the new licensing regime that that is now in place, and that's evolving as well. We absolutely think that uh, the land-based operators need to have 
and an even playing field in which to compete with everyone else. We absolutely believe, certainly from a hard rock perspective, we believe in what we call an omni-channel approach. I'm sure everyone um, ascribes to some version of, of, of that. Um, and we believe that it is critical that uh, for the continued success of the online um, and bricks and mortar industry, that there is there's clarity on what that looks like. That clarity is still coming for the land-based operators. The land-based operators um, and, the, and the team members that operate those um, operations across the country represent thousands and tens of thousands of, of, of employees and millions, hundreds of millions of dollars of CapEx. And, and they are incredible economic drivers that obviously need to be able to participate and, and enhance their own operations with this offering. We think of this as, a, as an opportunity to, to do that, but it has to be done properly. It has to be done in a, in a, in a, in a smart way, intelligent way. And uh, I'm confident that we can get there. Um, but the land-based operators, um, I, I think, will all ultimately, I don't want to speak for the rest of the operators, but uh, will all, all participate in one uh, fashion or another. And in fact, uh, I'd be shocked if they, if they didn't. We certainly, Hard Rock International, will be participating. But it is a, it is a boon to um, the entire industry in, in, in a way that has to be tied into success for the land-based operators. And the details of that are still being worked out. John, did you want to add to that? Um, well, we don't in Ontario, Canada, have any land-based connections, but obviously through Penn and our deal with Penn, they have multiple um, bricks and mortars all throughout regional casino. I think they're the largest regional casino operator. So it's something that we focus on a lot in terms of our technology and in terms of this holistic approach to um, how you know land-based and digital get integrated together in an effective way. The way we kind of look at it, though, is is not so much uh, who the player is or who the licensee is. I mean, if you look in the states, for example, I mean, certain states had tethering to um, land-based operators with respect to to the uh, to the contribution that they've been making for years. Some states didn't; some went direct. Um, so it's a, it's a bit of a you know a, a smorgasbord of, of of how to deal with the issue uh, from a regulatory standpoint. But I think ultimately, at the end of the day, it, those are just in sort of interim sort of uh, licensing and regulatory matters. I mean, what really matters at the end of the day is the consumer that's walking into the land base and the consumer that's playing in bricks and mortar. And how are they going to be consuming that product, that content, and how are they going to be betting or wagering and what's exciting them and what is their level of engagement and what are these things going to look like, not just up, you know, in Q3 or Q4 or next year, the year after, five years, 10 years from now. I'm sure Hard Rock's looking at all this saying, you know, what is my property going to look like in 10 years, right? How do I continue to, to, to have this amazing entertainment experience, which involves all sorts of gaming, whether it's table gaming, whether it's sports betting, whether it's iCasino. So, but the focus, I think, ultimately has to be on one person and that's way we always look at the situation, which is, what does a consumer want? Not what do I want? Not what is that property or this property or this person sitting at home and just playing on a digital platform. You know, how is this going to evolve? And try to figure that out and, and, and try to, um, you know, scratch that itch before that itch actually shows up on a person's shoulder or wherever it does. Uh, 
Yeah, if we just add one one more thing to it, and I think it's consistent with what we've talked about uh, earlier, it's it's the the, the brand as well. It, it's the the consumer experience obviously has to drive a lot of what we're talking about here, um, but uh, um, the ability to be able to actually provide something amazing for the consumer under a trusted brand and. and that, that, that there's, a, there's a lot of meaning behind that, of course. You know, what does that mean? Is it simply or only um, the product or is it the look and feel of, of something? Uh, is it uh, uh, what they experience when they walk into a bricks and mortar facility? Is it uh, when they walk into a, a branded uh, hotel or a restaurant or, um, you know, some, or a website, uh, you know, whatever it may look like. But I think uh, for, for some of, some of these um, um, organizations that, uh, um, are, are, are maybe sort of scratching their heads, and I, I get asked a lot of these questions all the time um, in terms of what the next step is in terms of their marketing strategy or what they ought to do in Ontario or the rest of Canada. I think the ability to provide the consumer with a trusted experience, an amazing experience, and tie it to your brand and be able to have multiple touch points, um, again, this omni-channel concept, I think is critical to the, the future success of uh of, of both online and bricks and mortar, to be honest, across the planet. And we see that with Hard Rock in 68 countries. And uh, you know, yes, yes, we have a lot of, a lot, a lot of thinking we're, we're, we're doing in terms of what, uh, what that means in the next 5, 10, 20 years. But I'm sure it's no different from anyone else's business fundamentally. But the, the power of the brand, the ability to tie it all together um, under a trusted name and brand, under a trusted regulatory regime to be able to say, I am Hard Rock or I am The Score or I am whom, whomever it is ultimately and, and, and offer that to the, the patron, that, that's powerful. That's incredibly powerful. And I think that's where we're, we're all you know, looking to be. Scott, Anna, did you want to add anything to that? The, the, what I would say is um, I, I'm surprised that not more maybe jumped in right away or, 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 and, or sort of don't want to be in the online space because when Ilkham talks about omni-channel, I don't think there's anybody better positioned to provide an omni-channel experience than a casino right now, right? Like, what are they good at? They're good at entertaining people. Uh, they've, you know, they got sports books, so they've got bars. And, and there's, a, there's, a, there's the argument about social, you know, is sports betting social? You know, maybe not the actual act of making the bet, but sitting in a room with people watching a, a game very much is, and people want to bet. So, so I think they're they're best positioned right now to to take advantage of that. And the brands are huge, but the ability to give that omni-channel and it's got to be seamless, right? Like they got to be able to walk in with their phone and then switch to a, a tablet and then go back out and have their wallet linked and have everything just seamless. So, so I think they're in a great position to do that if they, they figure out how to do it right and, and make that whole thing seamless. Um, you know, we have a group, a live activation team called Betting Hero that's, you know, in the last three years, they've activated 250,000 first-time depositors on casino floors. And, and it's just, it, I don't, don't want to say it's like kind of shooting fishing barrel, but, but you get them in your facility, they're watching sports, and you're like, hey, you know, are you interested in betting on sports? So I think they, they're in a great position to do that. So I'd be shocked if, if they're not all going to. Yeah, that really brings me to the next question. So let's get a little bit more into it because it is about the consumer experience, the evolution of iGaming and sports betting technology in recent years. It's, kind of, uh, it's encouraged in a transformation of player expectations just as much. Players now expect, as Scott was mentioning, a streamlined, seamless, omni-channel experience. So how important is delivering that experience to the player? And I think... What I really want to touch on are what are some of the challenges 
that are faced when, when trying to make that delivery and meeting those expectations? The, I, the, the seamless thing I think is, is really challenging and, and there's, there's just so much friction to get into an online sports book and, and, and that's where the challenge comes. So, uh, and it's really, if you haven't tried it, it's, you know, again, with our, our group that does the live activation, their average time spent with a first time depositor is up to 30 minutes. It's 20 to 30 minutes, you know, get out your ID, get out, oh, that card doesn't work. Try this online digital wallet. So, so that's the real challenge I find is there's so much friction in the process that if you can find a way with your brand and having the omni-channel approach, just get them once and make sure that just follows them wherever they go. And that's everything from their rewards card, uh, their wallet, you know, you know, that issue of even having two wallets for your iGaming and your sportsbook product. Like, it's just, that's the part that's got to be solved. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to tie in a few things that, that Scott have has addressed over the, the past few discussion points. One is that we're not inventing a new industry. We have just started to regulate it. And, and because of that, the amount of education we need to give to players is immense. And what we have seen by national advertising, not just in Canada, but in the U.S. as well, is that still the majority of people don't have access to regulated gaming, which is an issue for provinces and states because it means taxes and being collected. And it's an issue for the general public because it typically also means that responsible gaming isn't really being funded or provided for. And so that is something we can work together as an industry to both educate the consumers on what to expect and why we're doing these things. Like, why does Agent ID exist? Why is your credit card being declined with us, but accepted with the offshore guy you've been playing with before because you're tagging it as what it is. And, and that creates more complication and, and also requires our industry to have trusted relationships with the financial services industry. And so we're working hard right now as an industry, we're really in our infancy and it does create a lot of friction, especially considering I know in the US we're paying on average $1,000 to acquire a customer. And so if you can acquire customers on the property, obviously that's quite a lot of money saved. And if you look at when we started in the gaming industry, geolocation was at a pass rate of 60%. So that means 40% of people that were trying to place a bet, we're going to fail geolocation. And now we have moved that upwards to, you know, 98, 99%. But if you look at the population as a percentage, that's still a huge amount of people that are feeling upset. And if you look at agent identity solutions, and this is another problem that we have in Canada, is there's not very many options available. And so it is very hard for people to be correctly identified to get onto these sites it means that your average pass rate for that might be 84% versus what you could potentially get in a more open market of 95 plus percent with, you know, enough of a waterfall in terms of your identity solutions. And all of these things impact the players tremendously. If you look at every step of the way, as we're in our industry, we see that player funnel as building credibility, like knowing who you are, making sure that's your credit card and your money that you're depositing with, making sure you're in the right location and playing with a, a legal operator. These are things that, that build integrity, but also, on the other hand, build frustration. And so I think it's, it's something that we need to work with 
not just as an industry of operators, because it's actually the whole ecosystem. It's the agent identity. It's the regulators. It's the financial industry. It's the technology and innovation that's there to serve the players. And I think that it's it's something that is definitely going to need to be focused on in order for us to have that seamless experience that, that we all want. John? You know, we, we, we strive for that every day. I mean, it's, it, you know, from, from our company perspective, every customer who can't get through that funnel is a lost customer. But what's really interesting is, and we're more stringent here than we were in the U.S. and some of the states, um, but our failure rate is a lot less. Um, so we're more effective, actually. And part of that is because the, the, the product that we've developed and, and the, the, the chain of events that happened to get them on, we're, we're much better at it than we were a year ago or two years ago. So, um, you know, a lot has to do with time, effort, money, product development, because ultimately we are absolutely on the same team here. Um, I don't want to lose one person who we excite at a, you know, uh, you know, at a golf tournament, for example. I mean, we're, I, I was told I have to slip this in because we're sponsoring the uh, – the Canadian Open, which is happening this day, this week, along with everything else that's happening this week, and we have this amazing activation called Skyline Seats. Look it up. It's we hoist people up 100 feet in the air, and they can see the Toronto and they see the golf. But I only raise it here because I was told to. But number two, <laughs> because um, it will fail if we can't activate the people who come in and participate in our activations. And I know we're encouraging people to. Who know the score, who know score bet to come and have some fun, and it's a different way we sort of we approach marketing, and it's not this is not a promotion. This is a fun activity that we're doing to to, to try to get people to, to come to score bet. But if we get them in and they can't sign up, wow, what do we waste a lot of money, right? So we are on you know completely on all fours in the context of, of how important that is. And you're right, there are bigger issues in terms of out of the province and in states that aren't regulated and how you deal with that. But just focusing in our little world in Ontario, our big little world, we make every effort to make sure that that onboarding process, and we pride ourselves on the fact that um, that we're pretty good at it, actually. And hopefully you're going to see that as we roll out and as you see the statistics coming in. Yoakum, did you want to add to that? Yeah, yeah, just just a, just another uh, slight uh, nuance to it as well. Um, I mean, how, how many times have, have have we all as consumers tried to log on to some website or uh, tried to launch an app, and uh, although we may like the brand or we may like the, the app, and it fails and it won't load onto your phone, or something technical happens that that can be very deadly for all sorts of obvious reasons, and. And that's part of what I think of as, as the seamlessness of, 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 the, um, um, of, of the whole dynamic that we're trying to achieve. It's not only seamlessness in terms of ease of, um, ease of access, which is tremendously important. It's not only just the technical seamlessness, which is also key. These are many interconnected concepts. They're, not, they're, they're, they're all part of the very DNA of the consumer experience. And ultimately, again, I may sound repetitive here, but going back to the brand and what that means for the value of the company and, and, and what consumers expect from who you are as an organization because there is that brand, it is absolutely harmful to the brand if the experience is not seamless. Not only because you're not, for example, activating a specific individual, but also, you know, they'll, 
they'll see you on the gaming floor. They may see you if you have a bricks and mortar facility, uh, or they may, um, you know, send you a, they may tweet about how, oh, well, I love the hard rock that, um, experience in this place, but they're not as good in, in this other thing. Um, and, and that's all interconnected as well. So the brand suffers and the business suffers and the value suffers, reputation suffers. And um, obviously these are all interconnected. And so the way I think of seamlessness, seamlessness is the key factor here, but it's all of the above. It's not just technology. It's not just acquisition. It's not, and I don't mean that in a disparaging way. It's all of the above to make sure that your brand and your business is, uh, is enhanced as opposed to harm. You want to add something to that? Yeah, I was uh, just going to add that I, I totally agree with, with what you're saying. And one thing that, that I notice for me personally is that frequently when I go to bank online on my mobile phone, they're not in service or down for some type of an upgrade. And I'm like, I just kind of accept it as something that their brand has accepted and therefore I've accepted it for them. But if I woke up one morning and I went to Google and it was down, I'd be like, is the world ending? <laughs> because they've built up so much brand trust and we depend on them every day. And I think that as a gaming industry, especially when you're negotiating SLAs uh, across this industry, our expectation is to be that reliable source, that brand that is always up, that's always there, that can support you no matter what, just like hopefully to be a Google so that if we're down, people wonder if their lives are potentially at risk. So I think it's a very good point. I think one thing we'll also see too, and we, well, we've already seen it, is um, owning the technology is going to become really important for brick and mortars if they're getting in the space, I think. And, and I mean, you, you've been through it. We've seen Bally's and all these people getting into the tech because uh, that's the key. I think brick and mortars are great at outsourcing a lot of things, you know, their, their restaurants, all that stuff. But uh, owning technology for this piece is going to be really important. Well, I have about 10 more questions, so we could go another hour, and that speaks, I think, to the intelligence and depth of this panel, but we're done. Uh, I want to get a warm round of applause for our panel today, because I think that was a fascinating conversation. Thank you all. Subscribe to Guaranteed Money wherever you get your podcasts, and find out more details at thedalesreport.com. Don't forget also to check out our YouTube channel for more content.